the words of your song that you sang today mean more and more all along the way. I remember um, when, uh, when Judy passed away, my wife, and I was holding her hand. The last verse of your song speaks to how I've experienced that. I felt as if when she took her last breath that I was holding her hand and then it was kind of like uh, Jesus was holding her hand. Fly to Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting how words of songs make kind of impact us along our life journey. It's true, isn't it? It's the same way with Scripture. Those of us, you know, we, we read the same Scripture over and over again. Um, but oftentimes, because of life experience, uh, Scripture will take on a new meaning for us, phrases, words, concepts, because of our journey uh, through this experience we call, we call life. So that leads me to the scripture passage and the sermon, which you're probably glad I'm leading in that direction. You know, I love patient people and loving people. Uh, I depend on them. But I would call your attention to Matthew's gospel uh, chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And I read a passage that probably is very familiar to most of us. We know it traditionally as the transfiguration of Jesus. And it begins, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. 
And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Powerful story. It really is. One of the lessons that I've learned from studying this scripture over the, over the years um, is how important the context of scripture is to understanding scripture. And, and I think this is a great example of that truth. I don't know about you, but it's kind of like when you get in the begats. You ever been in the begats before? Do you call that whizzing through the begats? I mean, you just kind of whiz on through there, you know, and you wonder, uh, I, know this, I know this is in here for some reason, you know. Or maybe you're reading in numbers and you've been through three or four thousand, you know. This is one of those uh, scripture texts. And, and, and I'll, I'll confess, and, and, and maybe some of you will too, you know. We, we can have like a confession time today. Um, I used to skip over the first part of verse 1. I just kind of whiz by it. You know that part that says, and after six days. Has anybody whizzed past that before? And after six days, you know, you think, well, I'm, when are we going to get to something that really matters here? And then, have you ever had one of those aha experiences when you're reading scripture? It's like, you know, like a, I wish I'd had a V8 or something like that. I could have had a V8, you know, one of those experiences. About a year or so, I had that experience with this particular scripture text. And, and this is the aha experience that, that I had. The phrase, and after six days, I think is the key to understanding this whole story. And for years, I just jumped over that part. But about a year ago, as I was just reading it again, for the gazillionth time, you know, all of a sudden it hit me, wait a minute, I think that's the key. And to help you maybe understand where, from where I'm coming, uh, let's, let's go back just, uh, you know, several verses. If we go back into chapter 16. And we'll go to verse 21, because this is the event that took place a week before. This is what the text is about, and after six days. This is the key, I think. Jesus was with his disciples in the town of Caesarea Philippi. If you look on a Bible map, it is about 20 miles north of Galilee. If you don't look on a Bible map, it's still <laughs> about 20 miles north of Galilee. And you remember uh, the story. It, it's the time that the Jesus had been with his disciples for, for some time, and they had been in a variety of 
of situations where they had watched him uh, interact with people and, 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 and heal and teach and preach. And, and, um, and they had learned uh, a number of things about Jesus. And many times they were maybe in the crowd somewhere and, and they would hear comments made concerning Jesus. And so at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was meeting with, with his disciples and he decided to ask them some questions. And, and the first question that he posed to them was, whom do men say that I am? In other words, what, are people, what do you hear people saying about me? You know, when you're out in the crowd, when you're at the uh, marketplace, when you're along the roadway, maybe even when you're down by the, the lake, what are some of the things you hear people saying? And, and they, re, they responded, you know, they, they said, well, some people say you're this and some people say you're that, you know, and they, they tried to share with Jesus um, some of the things that, that they had heard. And then Jesus posed a second question. And the second question was more to the point and certainly more personal. And it was, it was this. What do you say? You've told me what other people say. What do you say about me? What do you think about me? Where have I come from? Who am I? What am I about? What do you see? What do you understand? What do you say? And it was probably a moment of two of um, silence. You know how it is. You've been in those situations where a teacher or someone asks a question and everybody clams up for a while hoping that somebody else will say something. I remember as a child, I was like that in school. You know, the teacher would explain something and then she would ask, well, does everybody understand? And I'm thinking, I don't understand. But for some reason, I was kind of afraid or embarrassed. And so I'm praying, Lord, let somebody else say something. And then someone would ask a question, you know, and you'd look at them like they were dumb, you know. Golly, but you were so glad they did. And so in this question to the disciples, it was Simon Peter who, who stepped forward and, 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 and spoke. And he made this declaration. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and then Jesus said, wow, you're right. You, did, you, didn't, you didn't get that on your own, Simon Peter. The, that, that's been revealed to you from above. And I guess Simon Peter was feeling pretty proud then. You know, it's kind of like the teacher saying, well, you, you got it right. And at that point, he probably should have shut up and sat down. You know, but you know how it is when you're on a roll, 
right? You got to keep going. You don't know when to stop. But the Bible tells us that then Jesus began to teach the disciples something about himself and who he was and what he was about and what was going to happen. And, and, and this is the part that really is the, the key here to understanding this transfiguration. But he began to teach them that, that God's will for his life, why he came into the world and how things were going to play out, would be somewhat different than what they thought or could even imagine. And he began to tell them how he would suffer greatly and how there would come a time when religious leaders and others would capture him, would arrest him, would torment him, abuse him, torture him, cause him to suffer in all kinds of ways, and would, would kill him. Well, you know, that was real far from what the disciples could even imagine. When they thought about the Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Messiah was supposed to be somebody like King David of old. He was supposed to be a powerful person politically. He was to be a powerful person militarily. And one of the hopes, of course, that the peop many of the people had, if not all, was that someone would help them and lead them to drive the Romans out of their land. And these were the things that they were anticipating and thinking about when they thought about the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. They weren't thinking about being abused and tormented and tortured and and killed that was just out of the question that just didn't fit into their understanding at all and so i think you know simon peter really was not only speaking for himself but i, I i'm rather confident that the words that he spoke that the other disciples, as they stood there in silence or sat there in silence, were probably thinking the same thing. They were maybe even under their breath. They would say, yeah, 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 Lord, this, you know, you got, you got it all wrong. In other words, this, something's not right here. Now that is the context for chapter 17. And so in chapter 17, we see that phrase that in the past, you may have thought was insignificant. But from now on, you're really going to enjoy and believe that it makes a difference. And after six days, Jesus took with him these three disciples 
alone. And these were leaders of the disciples. Peter and James and John. A little bit farther north from the town of Caesarea Philippi was a mountain called Mount Hermon. And there Jesus took these disciples on that mountaintop. And so there were the four of them walking up the way to the top of the mountain. May have been quiet all along the way. Somehow I doubt that. I imagine there was conversation along the way. Maybe even conversation about what they had talked about the week before. And maybe even, I don't know, I'm just thinking here, you know. Maybe Simon Peter was saying, hey, you know what you said last week, Lord? You know, I still don't agree with that. I just, I just don't see that. I'm just, I'm just, I, that just doesn't seem to fit. But anyway, they got to a place on this mountain. And whether they had been to this mountain before, they had been to places like this on other occasions. And usually, I think, they would go there to, to be alone and to, and to pray. And Jesus would maybe teach them some things also. And so... Peter, James, and John probably would have thought that, you know what, this is going to be like those other times. We've gone to places before. Jesus has asked us to go with him and, to, and we're going to pray together and he's going to tell us a few things and, and then we're going to come on back down. But that's not the way it happened on this particular occasion at all. This turned out to be pretty spectacular. Something that they would remember vividly for the rest of their lives. And if you can just in your mind imagine that you were one of the disciples and you were there. If you could just imagine, I mean I try to put myself in their place. The things that took place, one after another, you know, just one thing. I mean, there were some powerful things that took place. Mighty things. And the first thing that the Bible says is that Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, he goes on to do, give some detail and describe, you know, what occurred. But, but the point is that in some way, the very presence of Jesus changed right before them. And, and they were, I mean, I mean, an amazing kind of thing. Several weeks ago, I was preaching in Cambria Baptist Church, uh, which is in Christiansburg. And sometimes I have back problems. And this particular case, I'd really had a, I really had a bad case, and I could hardly, I wasn't sure I could even make it. This was back in June. Um, but I never like to, if I say I'm going to do something, you know what, I try to do it. And I, I was supposed to be at this church to preach, and so I figured on Saturday night, 
I'll just get up an hour early because it'll take me that long to shower and get dressed and that kind of thing to get there and and because uh, my back was hurting so bad and I could hardly move. But anyway, I got up an hour early and did all those kind of things and got ready. Then I drove to Christiansburg. When I got out of the car, I was worse off than ever. It took me about six to seven minutes to get out of the car. And then I kind of hobbled into the church. You know, I'm, and when I have this trouble, I'm like sideways. I can't straighten up. You know, how'd you like to look at a preacher like this? You know, and so, uh, so I go in there and a couple of ladies met me. And this one lady says, you got a problem, don't you? <laughs> I got a lot of problems. Yes. And, and she said, would, would you like to go to the pastor's study? I think I'll go right to the sanctuary. So, you know, I went to the sanctuary and I sat down in the first pew and I thought I'd just sit there till it was time to preach. And then I would get up and, and, and do it, you know. And so it uh, came time to preach and I, I hobbled up and I was standing there, you know. And then I started preaching and about five minutes into my sermon, all of a sudden I was like this. And I wasn't hurting any and everything was good. And I just stopped. And I asked the church, I said, what, when was the last time this church had a healing? <laughs> Nobody could remember. And I, I, I said, my back's just been fixed. And it was. I mean, I had zero pain. I was standing straight. And the choir was much closer. I mean, they were like right there. And, and this lady in, in the, in the right behind me, she, she, she said, I watched your back straighten up. Well, I wasn't exactly transfigured, but I mean, that was kind of a low dose. But, you know, there was a change, you know, a change. Well, the presence of Jesus was transfigured. And the Bible says that his face was like the sun. It shone like the sun. And I, and I take that, I mean, I'm thinking pretty literal. I mean, it's, I mean, bright. And what I don't understand is why it took the disciples so long to like be in awe and fall on the ground. Because at that point... I would have missed the whole rest of the thing. I would have been like on the ground. But his face shone like the sun. And then if that wasn't enough, then it says that his, his clothing, his garments were as white as light. And then... Some other people showed up out of nowhere. I mean, you're thinking, there's just four of us up here. But now I see two more. And there was the appearance of Moses and Elijah. And the Bible says that they were in conversation with Jesus. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he does not say exactly the nature of the conversation. But in Luke's account of this same event, he gives a hint. And in Luke's account, we read that, and they were talking about his departure. In other words, the discussion 
was focused upon Jesus suffering and being crucified upon the cross. The very subject matter of which they spoke a week before. The exact same thing. Where Peter, speaking for himself, and I think in behalf of others, was saying, no, you got it all wrong. It can't be like this. Now, here in their presence, after seeing this change in Jesus, in his appearance, and then the appearance of of Moses, who represents the law of the Old Testament, and Elijah, who represents the, the prophets. And in both the law and the prophets, we read prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. And here they're talking with Jesus about his suffering and his death. And again, Simon Peter speaks up. He says, oh, Lord, this is great. We'll build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he's getting ready to probably go on and say more things. And, and then another thing occurred. In other words, just think about these things. You know, the face of Jesus, the garments of Jesus... The appearance of Moses and Elijah. Wouldn't you be on the ground by now? And then there was this bright cloud that just overshadowed all of them. And then there was a voice. The very voice of God the Father. And God said... To them and concerning Jesus, this is my beloved son. This is my son. This is the Christ, the son of the living God. With whom I am well pleased. In other words, he's doing exactly the will of the Father. His actions are in the will of God the Father. His words are in the will of God the Father. Simon Peter. What he has taught you is true. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. And then God said, listen to him. Now that means more than just here, doesn't it? I remember when I was a child and my mother might say, she would give me an instruction And then I would hear this phrase. Did you hear me? Only now and then was I dumb enough 
to say, of course I heard you. She knew I heard her. The question might have been, did you hear me? But that's not what she was asking. Matter of fact, she wasn't asking me anything. She was telling me something. What that question meant, did you hear me, was do it. <laughs> Obey. That's what she meant. She wasn't asking any questions. And so God the Father is saying to Simon Peter and to James and to John, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He tells you the truth. He speaks the truth. He acts in truth. He is in the center of my will. Listen to him. Follow him. Obey him. Of course, now they're on the ground. Like I said, I'd, I'd been there already a long time. One of them had been laying on top of me. And they were in awe. And it, was so, it would be something that they would never, ever forget. And then Jesus, you know, he just, it says he just touched them. Probably, you know, touched them on the back or the shoulder or the head. And they kind of looked up. You know, things that wonder, you'd be wondering, what's coming next? Wouldn't you? What is coming next? And they looked up. And he said, rise. And it was just Jesus and them. Nobody else was there. And they walked back down the mountain. Changed forever. You know, in, um, I just give you one verse. In 2 Peter, verse uh, 17 of chapter 1, Simon Peter is writing about this event. Um, you go back to 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's writing to people, listen, we didn't make this up. We didn't think this up. We, we were eyewitnesses to the person in the life of Jesus. And then in verse 17, he recalls this event that we see in, in Matthew for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Simon Peter, for sure, never ever forgot that event. What does this mean for us where we are today? And I would say to you that there are times when God is working in my life, and I confess to you, I don't always understand what he's doing. Have you ever been there? 
I don't always understand how God works out His perfect will in my life, in the life of those I love, and, and in this world in which we live. There are things that I see sometimes, you know, the evil in the world, and you know, the different things, you know, and you wonder, well, gosh, how can that happen? How can God be who he is and this is going on? And, 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 and when things seem like they ought to go this way, why, why does God seem to be leading in this direction? The things of God and the mind of God. The mind of God is much greater than the mind of man and woman. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are times, and there will be times in this pilgrimage we call life, and for the believer we call the walk of faith. When do you know what? Things won't always seem to go like you thought God would have them go. And it is in these times that we remember that he is who he is. That he is the son of the, of the heavenly father. That God's will is perfect. And though we may not understand everything, we can still listen to him and trust him and follow him and obey him. I don't know about you, but there's several principles, uh, truths that... Uh, that I hang on to. They're like anchors in my life. One of them is that God is always good. Another one is that God is always righteous. Another one is that God always does the right thing. And I don't know about you, but I've had to hang on to those on a number of occasions. Because in my life, and I'm certainly in your life, there have been times when you thought, gosh, this doesn't make sense. And I believe in honest prayer. Do you believe in honest prayer? Honest prayer is when you talk to God how your heart is, and he already knows what it is. And there have been many times when in my prayer life I've said to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this, and I don't even like this. Because he already knows my heart. No, no need to fake it. But then I say, but I know you're good. I know you always do the right thing. And I trust you and follow you. I hope that maybe some of these truths from this scripture or maybe something that I've said or maybe something I've said accidentally didn't even mean to say will somehow be a positive influence in your life as you walk along this life of faith. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, If we're honest with one another, 
probably each and every one of us have experienced times when we just couldn't see the right in what was going on or your will in what was going on or how you could even work through something. And maybe even sometimes like Simon Peter, you know, we have cried out to you, no, Lord, it can't be that way. It can't be. That's not how it's supposed to be. Help us to hear those words over and over again. That you are the beloved son. You are well pleased. And that we would listen and follow. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.